a special edition of the Behind the You podcast because we are joined by a member of the current coaching staff and a lot of excitement around the Hurricanes. Josh Gaddis, offensive coordinator, joins us. Josh, thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to start with this, though. Has Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins called you by any chance? Tua, Waddle, Gasecki. as I'm doing all this, I'm like, wait a second. Gaddis has the skinny on all these guys. No, no, no. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of things to, to focus on here. Um, and obviously being in Miami, uh, you know, now becoming a, a Dolphins fan, you know, with some of the former players that I've coached, uh, been around, obviously, tremendous amount of respect for the organization there. Also coming from Michigan and seeing uh, having prior relationship and getting a chance to meet Mr. Ross and, oh, um, right. you know, and everyone involved in, in the Dolphins organization. So, um, you know, I've got a ton of respect for everyone over there. Uh, Chris Greer is a good friend of mine, the, the general manager. And so, uh, but we're excited to be here at Miami, at the University of Miami. And, you know, the unique thing about the opportunity we have here is we get a chance to build an NFL team at the collegiate level. And when you think of some of the great, you know, Miami teams, those teams are filled with, you know, NFL Hall of Famers. You know, you got Ed Reed walking the hall here. Uh, so we're excited here uh, to kind of get this history back to where it was started. So obviously this is a this is a Miami Hurricanes podcast and it'll be a Josh Gaddis podcast. Uh, uh, documentary, so to speak, but I, just something real quick is Tua is, is you, you talk to it and people it's all over the board. Right. And some, and to me, at least I think some of it is unfair, but I just, you worked with them. You were around him for a year at Alabama. Just what was your experience like with him? Uh, Tua's a special player. Um, just a unique court. He's a, he's a very unique quarterback because um, his ability to see the field uh, and have great timing and touch and anticipation throws, um, he did a phenomenal job for us in 2018. Um, he's very smart. He's a, he's a leader. Um, he's someone that everyone kind of gravitates to. Um, you know, he's not the guy that's going to go in front of the team and, you know, make some type of dynamic speech. He's going to lead by example. And so uh, I don't think he's been given a fair chance. I think they're now starting to surround him uh, with some weapons. And you've seen the addition of Jalen Waddle last year, obviously, all, uh, already having Mike Kosicki. But now it's about can we put together the offensive line, the other skill players, the running backs, uh, that are going to be there to compliment him. And I think with Coach uh, McDaniels coming in, I think it'll be exciting if I, how he builds it. All right. So let's get down to let's get down to the good stuff. So uh, Mario went on uh, the Late Kick podcast. It's one of those 247 deals with, with Josh Pate. And he described his hiring process. And he basically said something along the lines of it's like an all day affair. By the time lunchtime rolls around, you're usually in a full lathered sweat. And, and we have you haven't even gotten to lunch yet. Um, just in terms of the, the detail he goes through in terms of vetting out guys and just making sure the fits there. So did you go through something like that with him? Oh, yes. He's just very detailed. You know, um, you know, he's a, uh, you know, we spent uh, during this process, we spent a ton amount of time together. And uh, if you just alone see the detail he goes through in recruiting, um, vetting recruits, making sure that everyone knows the mom, the dad, the uncle, the, the aunt, um, He's just very, very detailed. And that's the thing uh, that's been most impressive to me as a coordinator coming in. Um, he's been the most detailed head coach I've ever worked for. And I don't say that lightly because I've worked for some great ones, Nick Saban, <laughs> Dan. Um, but Coach Cristobal makes you go the extra length. And he's going to put you on the spot in front of the staff. I mean, we have certain days where, you know, we cover recruits. And so uh, it's a system of checks and balances where you've got to make sure you're having these conversations being thorough enough with recruits. And so um, he does the same thing in building his staff and um, tremendous credit to him. You look at the staff that we have and, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, walking into an all-star coaches staff to say the least, you know, and that ton of respect that we have for each other and, and our paths that all crossed. Um, but it's pretty unique that we're all in here chilling together, coming together uh, and building this program together. You also said though, that you did a ton of research on Miami, on the team and the players, I presume. So what did you do and how much work did you put in to understand what you potentially were getting into? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, that's a great question, Josh. Um, you know, when this opportunity presented itself, you know, I, you know, I told coach, I said, hey, give me a day. I'm going to go in and watch film. And, you know, I went in and watched um, about six or seven games from last year. And I wanted to, wanted to assess the talent. I want to assess the roster um, to see if we were in a good place because, uh, at the current time, you know, I had a roster uh, in my previous institution. I had a roster of kids that I had recruited all on offense. Uh, I knew the kids. I knew the families. They were all friends. 
Uh, and it was a very talented roster on offense that was returning and probably one of the most talented offensive rosters uh, that returns in all of college football. And so uh, in order for me to leave there, it had to be an opportunity for us to win and most importantly, win now. Um, I think, you know, it's a unique situation here because we're taking over a program with such high expectations. However, there is a foundation when you have a Tyler Van Dyke coming back, when you have a Jalen Knight, and, um, you know, when you have a, a Brashard Smith, a, a, you know, a Keyshawn Smith, a Jacoby, uh, and, and so Jacoby George. And so when you got Will Mallory, you look at our tight end room, you get so excited about Will Mallory, Elijah Royer, and then having Jaleel Skinner coming in. And so um, I'm really, really excited, even with our offensive line. And so I had to see all the pieces there to be able to create the puzzle. Um, now, there's still some development that needs to be done. Um, we still need to recruit to a higher level. Um, but I like where our starting foundation is on this roster. I'm going to go back to the, the interview with, with Coach Cristobal, just because when he did the interview and described the, the, the vetting process, um, what I wanted to ask you was, was there something, uh, a question he asked, a conversation you guys dove into during that process that, that you knew, like, all right, this is – it's the real deal Holyfield right here. You know, it's really more so the sense and feel. And it's really when you start to ask, why did he come to Miami? Because um, I think that's important. Um, I wasn't willing to take a jump to go to a place that someone wasn't convinced that they can win in all the highest levels. And when I'm talking about convinced, meaning they had the right support, you know, whether that's financially from uh, the university and administration, uh, support from the fan base, support from everyone. Because when you're talking about turning around a program, it's not just the 120 men that are in the building or in the locker room. It's going to take everybody coming together, the fans supporting the players, the fans supporting the program, the alumni, the boosters, the former players, uh, the athletic director. And to hear uh, and see the alignment, you know, even with our athletic director, Dan Radakovich, and seeing his vision, for what he sees Miami football, but then also hearing Coach Cristobal's vision for Miami football. And uh, it, it may be hard expectations at times for Coach Cristobal because he's been a part of three national championships at Miami. And so he knows what it's all about. And the unique opportunity for me was I grew up in ACC country. So I know all about Miami football, the history, the past, uh, and currently where we are in the present. And we're looking forward to building to, to the future. You mentioned commit. You mentioned commitment, and clearly, this university has made a major commitment um, by the hiring of Coach Cristobal. Some of you know the finances, the the term, uh, the staff, um, and you've been at places that have made big time commitments to college football. So I was just curious. I know it's only, you've only been here maybe a month, but what have you seen and or heard in this short period that continues to back up that sentiment about where Miami is going? Well, the one, the one uh, word I haven't heard yet is no, we can't. You know, everything's been yes, we can. Um, and when you have that commitment, and we're talking about a big time commitment. We're not talking about, uh, hey, we're going to do this. Hey, we're going to build this. We're going to build that. You know, you're seeing words be put into action. Um, and that hasn't always been the case here at Miami. I mean, I think it's evident, you know, kind of when you talk to, you know, former players or, you know, you walk through certain facilities, there's a real commitment. And the exciting thing is when you have an athletic director like Dan Radakovich, who's done that throughout his career. You know, you're talking about someone that that's probably uh, made as, as huge of an impact in another program in this conference during his time as an athletic director, building facilities, making sure football had the right around of support. And, um, you know, that's what led Coach Cristobal here. Yes, um, we oftentimes take for granted that everyone wants to coach at their alma mater, uh, but he left a great place. Um, you know, he had you know, Oregon in position to compete for championships and compete for college playoffs. Uh, and he had built a special program there. And for him to make this move back to Miami meant a lot. And it took everyone around the program to get him. And they're still uh, they're still showing that commitment today. And so uh, that's all we're excited. And we understand we still got a, a, a lot of uh, time left before we play. We got a lot of room to grow and a lot of things to get better at. Um, but when you have that type of support, it helps push you through. Josh, Mario, the, I don't know if it's by text. I don't know if it's by phone call. But when he first reaches out to you, what is your initial thought? Well, you know, we kind of had some conversations in December. Um, and at the time, I, I currently, uh, and, and those conversations were through a former employee here. And, uh, 
you know, he reached out to see if I would have any interest. And, um, and then I also had some mutual friends kind of reach out and see if there was any interest. And at the time, you know, I wasn't interested because I was focused on uh, taking my team through the playoffs that I was currently with. And so, uh, you know, I was so focused on preparing, you know, for the college football playoff system and, and trying to, you know, compete for a national championship. And then it wasn't until late in January as I've kept following what was happening. You know, there was new hires being made. Obviously, I was really good friends with Brian McClendon, who was formerly here with them. Um, and I've worked for a number of coaches and tremendous friends that have worked for Mario in the past, Joe Moorhead, Jonathan Krause, um, just a number of different guys that have worked for him uh, throughout previous stops. And so um, this was actually an opportunity um, that kind of circled back the second time. And, and it made too much sense. Um, you know, the second time around, you know, it wasn't easy to say no to. And, uh, you know, we, we both discussed what our vision would be for the program. Um, we both discussed our past, you know, what makes us, you know, um, what's our passion, what makes us thrive. And you can see, you can see and feel the connection. We're both two driven people who want to win and who want to win championships. And so uh, I'm not afraid to go take on a challenge. That's not really a challenge. And what I mean by that, the foundation is set here. Although some may see this as a challenge to, you know, bring championships back. I've been told early in my career or early in my lifetime that history often repeats itself. And uh, I've been a part of some championship teams the last three or four stops that I've been a part of. And I look forward to being a part of a championship team here at Miami. So where did the, where'd the vision align? Where did the vision align? Just, you know, it, it wanting to win championships, you know, and, and um, you know, we're coming in with the approach that this is not a long-term uh, fix or this is not a long-term, hey, development. Uh, we want to win and we want to win now. Um, we're both driven that way. We understand uh, that recruiting is a lifeline of, of any college football program. So we've got to come in. We've got to, we've got to recruit our butts off here at Miami. We've got to go get the best players in all of the country. And we've got to keep the best players in South Florida to stay home uh, because that's how we're going to build it. We're going to build it with guys that want to take tremendous pride in, in putting on the U. And, and so, um, you know, just our background together, you know, offensively, you know, we both come from uh, the coach saving tree to say the least. And so we speak the same language. Um, we come from a similar past. Our offense is all the same, you know, because it comes from being formed, uh, you know, under coach Saban. And so um, there was just too many similarities that all kind of clicked together. So you guys must have swapped some good saving stories, right? For sure. And, and we both have a tremendous amount of respect for our time there. You know, I think any coach that has the opportunity to go coach there and learn from one of the best. And, you know, that's what makes it unique. I think that's what helped shapes Coach Cristobal to be a great coach that he is through his former experiences for people he's worked with and also people he's worked for. So we're, we're, we're kind of this is why these are why these things tend to go, because we just start going down different roads. What 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 would be something maybe about Coach Saban and your time there that you took that people wouldn't know or expect from his, you know, everyone perceives him, you know, from how he's either speaking media championships, whatever, but you worked for him. So yeah. you saw a difference. You see a, I assume you see a different guy. Yeah. I think the consistency in the daily organization of, of, uh, of the program, you know, he's so organized uh, and he's so consistent, you know, um, next Tuesday, or next Wednesday is going to be the same as the following Wednesday, you know, and, you know, kids, players, and coaches need consistency in their daily routine to help prepare them uh, to get them into a routine on schedule. And so that was one of the things that he truly believed in. And, and uh, another thing is just his evaluation process of prospects um, was phenomenal. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a coach up at that point ever evaluate as many prospects personally uh, than he did. I mean, Coach Saban would go home and, and evaluate 10 to 12 players at night. And, um, you know, he managed the roster in an exceptional way. Um, you weren't taking a player without his approval. You weren't offering a player without his approval. Um, you know, he's the best that's ever done it. Um, and we all take our experiences that we learn from and we try to apply, you know, one or two things that we learn from him to continue to make us better coaches today. Um, you mentioned, at least with Mario, when you were at Western Michigan and he was at FIU, that you were called crossing paths with him on the trail what yes. did you, so what what did you remember what what was a that's mario like 10 years ago a 40 year old mario cristobal and a young josh josh gaddis what was that 
what was going on there? That, that's a great story. So the truth behind the story is we're both uh, recruiting uh, a South Florida skill player and a receiver who was really talented at the time. And uh, Care to uh, share I, the I name? Think, uh, gosh, Lee, if I can remember the name. Okay. I can't All right. Remember, no problem. No problem. I thought, it was, I thought it was a secret. I thought there was a secret. No. A secret. No, okay. no it's, uh, but the uh, short story is, I think FIU had the home visit at 6 p.m. Uh, we had the home visit scheduled for 7. Uh, and so we were traveling down with the head coach I worked for at the time, who was a mentor for me, Bill Cuban, who's still a good friend of mine. Uh, and I'm telling Coach Cuban, hey, we're going to be in the house at 7 p.m. FIU is going to be leaving before. And I didn't know, you know, they were doing a head coach home visit at the time either. Well, it's 7.15. I'm looking at my watch. I'm trying to wait <laughs> for the phone call from the recruit. 7.30. I'm waiting at the watch, looking at the phone call from the recruit. And so finally, it's about 7.45, 8 o'clock. And we're an hour past our time. And, and one of the things in the, in the recruiting world is when you have your head coach with you, you want to be punctual. I mean, you want to be on time. Like it, it's, that's everything. You want to make sure that you've got this day planned so well that your head coach leaves impressed with your recruiting ability. And we're an hour late into this deal and the kid's not answering the phone. I'm knocking on the door. Well, eventually the door opens up. We get back out of the car and coach Cristobal is walking out of the house. And it was pretty much a done deal. The kid shut down his recruitment, no longer uh, was interested in Western Michigan. And so uh, that was not a good feeling uh, to, to see uh, as they closed the recruiting deal. But that shows you uh, Coach Cristobal's drive. You know, it shows you his passion for recruiting. He will do anything and everything um, um, to sell himself as a coach and to win over a kid and their family. So, Josh, you are, I guess you're here for about a, we're not even a month yet, right? Are we, are we like less than a month? <laughs> Three weeks. That's Three it. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So other than the, the kids are going, right, they're, all, they're going through the off-season program and whatnot. But for you, for you as the guy who's going to call the plays and integrate an offense, your offense, an offense that is probably still taking shape and will always still be taking shape, what, what, is, what are you doing now, I guess, in two ways? One would be how are you and the staff working together so that they learn you and what you want to do and you're also learning from them? And then also you continuing to learn what you have to work with in terms of the players on the team. Yeah, that, that, um, every day is, is a new day. Um, you know, I, I would like to tell you there's a ton of free time in my day, but it's filled up with everything. Um, in the morning times we spend – um, with our players doing fourth quarter program, uh, which is our conditioning offseason conditioning program. And that really gives us an opportunity to evaluate where they are um, from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, uh, and from a conditioning standpoint, you know, which we're really challenging uh, those three phases um, in our, in our morning workouts and, and um, athletic ability is one thing, but do we have the right mindset, the right buy-in, the right mentality, uh, to push ourselves to be a championship team is what we're also trying to develop uh, in this workout. Uh, and then after we finish up with that around, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, um, we're full blown, you know, teaching football to the coaches, talking football to the coaches, implementing our system, uh, as well as spending the late afternoons recruiting. And so um, it doesn't stop, you know, um, typically uh, when you're taking over a new program, you feel like you're, you're months behind everyone else because there's so much that you have to learn. Um, just as much as we're recruiting, you know, prospects, we're having to recruit our own players, trying to develop relationships with our current players on the roster, developing current uh, relationships with the parents of our current players. And so there's so much to go through in any transition. Um, eventually it'll slow down, but right now it's been kind of full speed ahead, uh, just nonstop. Uh, but we've been, we've really been enjoying it. I love our staff. We're gelling together um, and we're building something special. Yeah, you make sure you also have to put there, find time to tape podcast. <laughs> That's right. Find time to tape podcast and find a home. <laughs> How's that go? No. <laughs> Did, Mario probably didn't bring that up in the interview process. He didn't bring, no, up, he didn't bring, no, up, the, he didn't bring up the housing market. No, the housing market's a little, uh, little challenging to say the least. It's a competitive market like recruiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard the words all cash mean something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all That's cash right. buyer means something. Um, just to follow up on that, the, the, what is the process? Um, you said learning the offense, right? 
yes. you're not learning your own offense, but you're teaching the coaches to learn the offense. And I'm sure also you're doing intake as well, right? I mean, you have, you said you have an Absolutely. all-star staff. Walk me through that. Like walk me through how a staff learns a system when it's all new. Yeah. I mean, it's imagine coming in uh, and four different people sitting in a room trying to speak four different languages. Uh, so it's all about developing that alignment. Rosetta and, Stone. I think it's called Rosetta Stone. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and you know, let me tell you this. There's um, I've always believed in, in chemistry among the staff and um, there's give and take. You know, um, I'm learning Coach Mirabal's offensive line techniques. OK, I don't want to have an offensive line coach learn my plays and not be able to coach it the way he wants to coach it or coach the techniques. Same with Coach Ponce. OK. This is what I call our quarterback drops. What would you like to call our quarterback drops? Because they'll learn my plays. I'll learn their details and techniques. Uh, and so there's a give and take and an end. Um, that's, how you, that's how you develop a cohesive unit. Um, just as much as I'm teaching the coaches, they're now teaching the players. And so um, everyone's constantly learning. I'm learning how um, different coaches see things. I'm learning how different coaches coach things. You always learn different new techniques. Uh, and one of the things I've also invited with our guys is, hey, share with me two or three of the things that you've done well in your past, because I want to give buy-in to our offense. This is not about the Josh Gaddis offense. This is about the 2022 Miami football offense. And so collectively, as an offensive staff, we're going to do this together. And we have a tremendous room of teachers, developers. Uh, like we've got Coach Smith coaching our running backs, which you probably can't find a more successful running back in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years in college football from the state of Florida, okay, that has done it at such a high level at the collegiate level. And so having his expertise lead our running backs and then coach field with our tight ends and his previous experience here just makes me really excited as a coordinator to be in this room with all the great coaches that we have. I imagine there's something fun inside of that chaos, right? Because that's the football, right? That's, the, that's ultimately at the core of why you did this is the game. And I imagine even though it's a little chaotic and you're, you're like you said, it's four different languages. That's got to there's got to be something fun about just sitting in the room talking ball. There, there's a ton. Of, there, you know what? I, I can't you know, if it's 100 uh, percent of the time, it's probably uh, it's probably 50 percent football. Yeah, 50 percent right. just kind of laughing, joking, picking on each other, developing chemistry. Um, you know, the unique thing about this profession is we spend so much time together. So you really do become a brotherhood. You become a brotherhood as players. You become a brotherhood as coaches. And so uh, if I'm going to go in that room and spend eight hours uh, in, a, in a row with, with a bunch of people, I'm going to do it with a lot of people I enjoy working with. And so um, we make sure we keep it light in the room. We have fun. We joke. Uh, there's a lot of time wasted, but there's a lot of time that we're putting in some hard work as well. Actually, you got to lean on Ponce on the real estate. He's the Miami guy. You got to lean on Ponce. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We got some good connections on staff. I'm sure you do. All right. So you, you, you watched Van Dyke. That's your guy. And you said you, you, your first your first look, your first glance, your initial thoughts were blank. Yeah, just, uh, you know, he just developed um, throughout the year, um, you know, to see him come in um, pretty much at the midway point, um, not having started the season, not having previous collegiate playing experience. And what you saw each and every week was just his confidence grow, his ability grow. Obviously, he went on a stretch there where he put up some very impressive numbers, you know, throwing for 300 plus for you know, five or six consecutive games. And you saw that confidence. And most importantly, it's not about the yards that he threw for, um, because those are sometimes tied into how many attempts he had per game. But it's about the completion percentage, the accuracy and the elimination of turnovers. And so that's the thing you want to see. I mean, anybody and throw for 300 yards if they're throwing 55 times a game. But are they doing it in a way that protects the football and makes smart decisions is what eliminate, is what separates good from great quarterbacks. And so that's the exciting thing you saw with Tyler is his touchdown interception ratio was phenomenal. Um, he made smart decisions. He was great with his ball placement and accurate throws. Uh, and he led the team back in some critical situations throughout the year. I was reading something getting ready for this and someone had a description of, of one of your quarterbacks at your previous stop and the way they just, the, the, the words they used were high level processor. And I thought that was a really interesting way to describe the quarterback position just because they, they have so much to process. Um, how much is going through a quarterback's mind 
and how quickly does it have to go through there? And the, the, the more they can do and the quicker they can do it, how much better of a quarterback can they be? You know, there's a lot in college football. I mean, you know, you're seeing um, so many different variations of defenses each and every week, whether it's four down, three down, um, split safety, one high. A lot of teams now using a lot more what we call replacement zones where they're bringing blitz type looks and also dropping, you know, edge guys. So they're still presenting a four man rush, um, but they're doing it with different ways to confuse uh, and cause um, confusion to the offense line and to the quarterback. And so uh, there's always a process that quarterbacks go through from a pre-snap standpoint, whether they're ID and coverages, sliding protections, checking plays, getting in and out of good plays or bad plays. But then there's the post-snap where the pitcher can completely change. You may see one thing pre-snap and then post-snap, you're like, whoa, what just happened? And they've <laughs> got to be able to process that fast. Um, they've got to be able to lean on their clues and, and their reads and, and their concepts and that to, where they can confidently go out and execute plays at a high level to allow the team to be successful. The quarterback position is the most unique position in all the college football because other than the center, it's the one guy that touches the football on every play uh, on offense. And so uh, it's so important to have someone that not only that is uh, someone that you trust, um, but someone that also processes information fast. How much in terms of college football and not only the defenses, but the offenses, right, that the way it's evolved, can you help with that process, right, by either what you're call, how you're calling it, just your verb, whatever, whatever that goes into putting together the offense, how much do you take on the burden of how can I make this easier for my quarterback? Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Um, and one of them is obviously preparing your quarterbacks to be as comfortable with things that they can. And, and one of the things I like to do is, you know, I don't, uh, I give my quarterbacks each week a, sheet, a call sheet and I say, hey, tell me what, you, what are you comfortable with? What don't you like? Because I don't want to call the plays that maybe, you know, they've repped two or three times in a week and they say, well, coach, I'm just not comfortable with this play because if they go into a game plan and they're not comfortable executing it, they most likely won't execute it well. And so um, you've got to lean on each other. You've got to have great communication. Uh, amongst the quarterback position you got to have great communication amongst the quarterback coach position and and, and so uh, to make sure that alignment is driven there and everyone sees things correctly everyone's talking the same language um, and if there's any concerns that you address those concerns uh, to avoid mistakes happen are we still using pro spread is that still in uh, the description we could exactly use exactly our offense and it will always be the pro spread that's it yeah. all right and uh so I've heard you say many times we like to put a defense and conflict's a big word in this day and age in college football, right? So I'm going to ask you, I'll ask you, I'll start the conversation this way. What kind of conflict can you put on a defense today that is different than when you were playing at Wake Forest? Oh man, a ton, a ton. I, I think, um, I think today what you're seeing, um, obviously you've seen tempo. And that's the first thing that comes to people's mind is the ability to play fast. But um, tempo is, is a new term um, as a most recent, because tempo doesn't always mean the ability to play fast, but it really is the ability to change the tempos that you play with within a game, the ability to play fast, slow it down. Um, you see a lot more check with me offenses at the line of scrimmage, getting into successful plays, not allowing, to have the, not allowing the defense to have the pin last. But you're also seeing, uh, the use of multiple different formations, motions, unbalanced formations, things that 20 years ago, no one was doing. And so being as creative as possible offensively, you know, whether that's finding a defensive check that a defense checks to versus an unbalanced formation, um, everything's kind of turned into a, uh, a, to a copycat league as well. So, you know, you see things on tape when you're breaking down an opposing team defense and you want to try to attack their weaknesses. I think you also said um, you want to get a defense to itch. I think I heard that somewhere. Did I hear that right? Yeah, it, you want to scratch your itch. So, you know, oh, we're, scr oh, we're scratching. Oh, we're scratching the itch. Okay, we're scratching yeah, the itch. Scratching the itch. Yeah, so, so what that means is, you know, if there's, if there's something that they've shown that, you know, maybe they've gotten hit on it twice or, or three times in a year and they, they haven't quite made adjustments to it, you want to make sure that you run that play and present it maybe a little bit differently to see if they've made their adjustments. Because as I said, everything's just a copycat league. And, and you know, as you do something successful on someone, they're going to see it again. Just like offensively, if we have 
but we get presented a problem with some type of blitz or some type of coverage, most likely we're going to see that same blitz or coverage the next week. And so we have to correct our mistakes. And that's one of the things each week that we take tremendous pride in is trying to eliminate negative plays and eliminate mistakes. So if it's a copycat league, do you ever try to uncopycat uh, plays, play calls, what, you know, off, you know what I'm saying? Are you, are you trying to hide or disguise or, um, innovate you know innovate so that you're not it's not all the same absolutely that's that's part of your self scout you know you're always trying to create new uh innovative ways maybe to run certain plays and maybe that's disguising it um with some type of motion or some type of formation or different personnel um but then you also start developing your own identity to kind of grow the to grow their branches on the tree you know so you start off with a base foundation and then you add one small little wrinkle and that wrinkle kind of grows and then it turns into another little wrinkle. And then, you know, you look back after the season and you go, man, you know, the first way we ran this play was pretty vanilla. It was pretty basic. And you see all the things that you've added to it, whether that's um, different terms of tags or motions or RPOs or anything to kind of grow the identity of your, of your offense. RPOs, man, you must, you would have hated that when you were playing. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, there wasn't many. The only RPO was throwing a bubble screen. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Or true play action. Right. Like true play that's, action. Just like that's right. True the belly. center play action. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, speaking of conflict, I, I think that's a lot of it's associated. I know you you I, just from from listening to you, but it could be motion, tempo for it could be a lot of different things. But a lot of people also think of that strict, you know, kind of RPO read game. How much when you got to work with Joe Moorhead at Penn State, how much did that sort of grow your offensive? Well, not knowledge, but just sort of philosophies. Maybe he's about oh, Joe Moorhead is a tremendous mentor of mine and, and friend. And, um, you know, I think what, uh, what everyone talks about the pro spread um, that I mentioned, you know, you really saw it blossom in 2018 going to Alabama and uh, having to work for uh, getting a chance to work with Coach Loxley and a tremendous friend of mine. Um, we meshed a lot of different backgrounds together uh, to form this pro spread. And Coach Loxley's background, um, in, in the spread system, uh, some of the RPOs he had been around. I brought a ton of the RPOs that uh, I had learned from Coach Moorhead. And then, boom, you saw this, uh, this creation of an exciting, explosive offense led by Tua uh, and all the talented receivers just really take over college football. And what you saw from there is everyone else just copied it and turned into the, that's the copycat league that we're all a part of. And so, um, where it really how, much are, how up, much are you watching film on stuff and you go, wait a second? That's mine. Uh, That's mine. Wait, he, wait, he took it too? No. Yeah. All, all the time. But, you know, I, I can't really say anything because we take something. I'm sure you took stuff too, time, right? You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, um, so it's fun. I, I happened to work at UM uh, for a season in, in operations. And, and the, uh, a guy I worked with worked with Coach Moorhead at Fordham. Mm-hmm. So when you first, when, when you maybe first got, you were at Penn State before Moorhead came, right? Correct. Yes, sir. So when you first put the film on or he first showed you you're sitting in one of those meetings back then, just like we were discussing before, and you're watching his film at Fordham, what'd you think when you first saw uh, it? What, what? Without a doubt, I'll tell you the honest answer. I was like, no way is this working in the Big Ten. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, come on, Joe, like this is Fordham. Like, no. And then the more and more you hear him explain and how smart um, and how innovative he is, um, you see the buy-in from the players to the coaches and his charisma to lead a group of men is just phenomenal. And so then you start seeing that success happen out on the field. You're like, whoa, like this does work. And then boom, you dive all in and you're going, you'll never go back to any other offensive system ever again. And that's kind of, that's kind of stayed consistent with me because I was a true pro style guy up until that point. Uh, and I'll never go back to being on the center, being a hardcore pro style guy. Uh, I don't believe in it <laughs> anymore. <laughs> So what, what is the pro? So once you just lay out, what does pro spread mean? You know, it, it means that, you know, we still run a pro style system, but we do it from spread mechanics, uh, meaning, you know, we have very little use of huddle. Um, we do not huddle. We do things from a no huddle standpoint. Um, we always are going to be in some type of gun pistol uh, or quarterback away from the center alignment. Um, we get, we get in under center very rarely from there. Um, but, you know, and, and what, what that allows us to do is really create what I believe is the four-way threat in football. Um, the threat of the run, the threat of the pass, the, court, the threat of the quarterback read run, 
and the threat of the quarterback RPO. Uh, and that can be quarterback RPO slash play action. And so when you're under center, teams don't have, they, they only have to worry about stopping the run and stopping the pass. All right, play action is somewhat in there in their third, but they don't have the threat of the quarterback pulling the ball or the quarterback running an RPO. Uh, and so when you're in the gun or pistol, you can do all that to put stress on an opposing team's defense. You watch Tyler. Do, Tyler can pull it now a little bit. Not yeah, he's, he's a lot more athletic than you give him. That's right. Yeah, and he made sure. But he was, I think after the, one of his first press conference, he made sure to tell everybody that, hey, man, I can run. That's right. That's right. Yeah, when you when you initially see him, because he is a taller guy and a higher hip guy, uh, people don't initially think that he has the athleticism to run. But um, he's done a tremendous job morning workouts, competing, finishing drills first. Um, you know, he's got he's got a unique skill set that you can maximize. Diversity in the run game. You like a you like a deep uh, run game from what from what I've from what I've heard from you. Why? Because, you know, it, it's about balance. Um, balance is about not just running past balance. It's about what you do and who all touches the ball. We want great balance uh, in running past. We want great balance and who all touches the ball, but we want great balance in what we run to prevent teams from, you know, from stopping us. You know, typically a lot of people say, well, if you've got a hardcore identity or you're lacking identities, because, you know, if they say you have some certain, you know, identity, it's because you do that thing exceptionally well. Well, we want to keep teams off balance um, by having great balance, you know, and, and they can't just stop one thing because they got to defend everything. And so um, we take tremendous pride in, in having that diversity in the run game and in the pass game. Um, we're going to play to the strengths of what you present. And so uh, if there's certain weaknesses, we have the ability to do what we want to do when we, when we need to do it. How do you balance using the word balance? How do you, what, cause the amazing thing to me about college football is, there's a limitation on time that you don't get in the pros. So, and before you were talking about wrinkles on offense, how do you control yourself, right? How do you control yourself from it not getting too big or too overwhelming so that, you know, you, everyone still knows what to do, when to do, and can do it, can do it to the best of their ability or in the, yeah. I'm going to steal your word in the, with the precision that you expect. Absolutely. Well, you got to be great teachers first and foremost. Um, the ability to teach is, is the greatest attribute of any coach. Um, it's not, you know, development is second, teaching is first because we're teachers. Um, so you got to be able to explain thoroughly um, and you got to be clear and concise in how you teach uh, for these players to learn. Um, and then once you can do that, they're willing to learn anything. You know, these kids, uh, there's no restraints on them. You know, um, if you feel like you've got to hold back, then you're holding them back. Um, but we also want to lean on what they do best. And I think that's the hat as a coach. Find out what your guys do best and play their strengths. Um, we won't force our offensive system on our players. We'll allow our players to force what we do offensively. And I think that's a key trait to any coordinator. You like, uh, so a former DB who's the OC, who's worked with receivers, apparently really likes to game plan, the run, really likes game planning in the run, in the run game. Yeah, I, you know, I do, but we're going to play to our strengths. You know, we're going to throw the ball. I mean, that's – No, 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 no. I'm not trying – I'm not trying yeah. to – I mean, like, you – I, I, I read either – I think I heard you on a podcast. You really yeah. – you like game plan – you like getting involved in the run game. Like, you like game yeah, planning. Absolutely, that. yeah. That, that's my – you know, I'm really an O-line guy. That's, I really right, okay, yeah. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to pigeonhole you yeah, to, like, yeah. 45 carries a game or something. No, you know. no, yeah. I, I love just game planning, the whole game plan, you know, and, and being involved in the run game. You know, that was something – uh, when I was a receiver coach and passing game coordinator, I said, in order for me to take the next step, you know, I need to take the next step in pass protections, run game. Uh, and when you dive all into that field, you develop an appreciation for it. And so um, it helps develop the overall offense. And so, you know, that's the base starting point for us to develop an identity in the run game and growing that in our pass game. I also uh, read where you said tight ends, you, you like tight ends. Tight ends are critical to offensive success. Why is that? Why, I mean, look, every position is important, but yeah. that, 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 to me, that's, almost, that's one of the most unique positions in the offensive game, I think, if you have the right guys, the way to use them and exploit them. Why do you believe in that? Yeah, they're the Swiss Army knife, man. They, they allow you to do everything you can do in the run game. Um, oftentimes, when people think about the run game, they only think about your offensive line. Well, um, if you got tight ends that can't block, then, yeah, you will have to only depend on your, on your offensive line. But if you have the ability to have tight ends that can block, you can be so much more creative in the diversity that you build in your run game. Um, but we ask the tight ends to be involved in the run game. We ask those guys to be great pass catchers. 
And we also ask those guys to be great pass protectors as they also have to protect edge rushers. And so that's why I say it's the Swiss Army night. They have to do everything at a very high level. Explosive. I heard I heard the word explosive plays and it, made, it was music to my ears. Why is that a focal point in a Josh Gaddis offense? Yeah, we're going to take great pride, you know, in, in trying to create explosive plays. And we'll do that by scheme, but we'll also do that by personnel, just finding ways to get the ball in, in our best playmakers' hands. And so, um, you know, I, I, I truly believe, obviously, first and foremost, ball security and ball protection uh, uh, is most critical to, to offensive football. But number two, uh, it's creating explosive plays. That's a key indicator of who wins games. So typically when you protect the football, win the turnover ratio and you win the explosive play ratio, typically you're going to win the game. What, physical, smart, precise. Those, that, that's, your, is that, that's your big acronym, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Where, where, how, would you, how would you define precision? What, why, what does that mean to you? Precision is in the details and execution. Um, it's taking things from into the group, group to team, being fundamentally sound. Like I said, we've got great coaches. And so uh, in order for us to be a great team, we've got to develop the individual players, you know, and, and development is so important, making sure we're using the right footwork at all times, you know, whether that's an offensive lineman or whether that's receivers footwork at the top of the route, um, whether that's quarterback footwork, um, we got to take great pride in how we do the little things because how you do the little things is how you do everything. And uh, we've got to truly develop that mindset and mentality throughout our program um, that we're going to be precise in what we do and how we do it. And smart football players, I feel like going back to what we talked about with just time, you know, your, the, the amount of time you have or sometimes at the time you don't have guys who love the game, understand the game, can can kind of uh, comprehend and take in, soak in what they're being taught. To me, that's a quality that I that I believe, and I, I assume you believe it too, right? It, it's hard not ha- – it's hard. It's, I'd say having smart football players makes your job easier. Absolutely, you know, because they become erasers on the field, uh, eliminating negative plays, understanding um, the weaknesses and strengths of, of every call that you have. Um, there's oftentimes when quarterbacks can erase negative plays by just understanding, you know, the weakness of a play. And so – um, we want to make sure that we teach them and, and they know that, you know, they're going to run plays that are going to put them in position to be successful. Uh, and we'll not, we'll, we'll teach them the strengths of every play as well as the, the weakness of any play. Um, that way we can develop the overall football player. Can you recruit for that? Can you recruit for smart football players? Absolutely. You know, there's uh, oftentimes we get kids to come in uh, and that's the personal relationship you develop, whether you put them on the board, whether you watch film with them, um, also, you know, gathering information from high school coaches, right? You know, how does this kid learn? Um, you know, are, is he able to play all over the field? How does he lead? Uh, that's the overall um, process to recruiting a student athlete is, is figuring out who they are as a person. All right, a couple more, Josh. When you finally became a play caller, when you got the job at Michigan, I always ask this to anyone that's moved up a level, you know, coordinator to coach, whatever it is, you, you always think you're ready for that. But there's always things that you learn once you get in there. So what did you what did you think, you know, and what did you learn when you finally got to do it for the first time? Yeah, I thought being a coordinator was all about calling plays and drawing up plays and designing game plans. Uh, that's the little part of it. Uh, it's first and foremost about managing people, uh, managing, managing players, um, you know, whether that's issues on the team, whether that's, hey, coach, I'm not playing enough. Uh, You know, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes as a coordinator that you've got to make sure that you eliminate issues from being on the head coach's plate, but also managing your staff, Um, you know, taking over any job. There's a lot of different personalities in rooms, you know. Um, There's people that may not align with how you vision your offense. There may be people that come from different backgrounds that you've got to learn. And so, um, my first year as a coordinator, I had to learn that. My first two years, I had to learn that the hard way. Uh, and, you know, that, that comes with good and bad experiences sometimes. And so um, you grow, you learn how to be a leader. And that's ultimately, you know, what a, what a leader and, and what a, a, a coordinator or a head coach is all about. How do you lead not only your players, but your men in the room? Uh, I think I have this right. I think when, and when you were at Alabama with Coach Saban, the position opened up and I he I believe he said, "Hey, he he didn't want to have a a, a first time coordinator calling plays." When when you heard that, was that 
how did you receive that? Uh, did you receive that as a way to understand what your next step had to be? And did you appreciate the honesty? Oh, I appreciated the honesty and I understood, you know, um, that's, it's a championship program, you know, and, and obviously, uh, you know, tremendous amount of respect for, you know, what Coach Saban did for my career. Uh, and he wanted to keep me and offer me an opportunity. Um, I, at the time, I was a co-offensive coordinator. He was going to make me basically associate offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, he fought hard to keep me. And, and uh, you know, I really believed at the time, hey, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll step away from uh, Alabama to come back to Alabama. You know, and, uh, you know, I was like, I'll go get some experience and, you know, maybe he'll call me back in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, it just led me on and, and it's led me to a tremendous place here at, at Miami. Um, and uh, I couldn't be in this position without him, you know, him believing in me, bringing me along, giving me the opportunity to go be the co-offensive coordinator. Uh, it's such a prestigious program uh, is, is an honor and one I'm forever thankful for. When you won the Broyles Award this past year, uh, I watched your speech. You were you're very emotional. Um, where did that all come from? What, what, what were you tapping into? What, what was, what was, why were you overcome? Obviously it's a prestigious honor, but you were, it hit you hard. It seemed like it hit you in a, yeah, in a, mean, you know, in a meaningful way. Yeah. I, I never would have guessed, uh, to start this, start last year off, um, that I even would have been in that position at the end of the year. Um, oftentimes when you go through adversity, it challenges you in, in so many different ways. And, you know, obviously, um, I reflected back a lot on what the 2020 COVID season uh, was like for the University of Michigan. Um, it was a bad time. It was probably a season that we probably shouldn't have played. We faced so much different adversity, whether that was players leaving, um, you know, um, you know, COVID, everything. The 2020 presented a lot of challenges for a lot of people, uh, but I don't think it was it was accepted for the challenges that we had by people outside of the building. And there was a ton of pressure. Um, there was a ton of, um, you know, uh, doubt that was put up in the program. There was doubt placed in me. There was doubt placed on me by, by you know, fans. And so uh, that was a place that when things didn't go well, they literally wanted to burn everything down. Um, but the people within the building believed in themselves. The people within the building believed in who they were as coaches, believed in the players. And we were a very young team in 2020. God, every guy that played this year for us on offense were all freshmen. So we knew we just had to give those guys experience. And so when you go through something like that and you feel like you're put into a corner and there's no one there to help support you, uh, and then you have the season that we had, we've reflected on it. We were proud to, to dig ourselves out of the hole, but we knew also that a lot of the people that were patting us on the back were the same people that were, that were, you know, name calling us the year before. And welcome so, you know, to, through, welcome to college football, sir. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So just as much as they pat you on the back, they'll blame you for something else. And so, um, but you know, it was a sense of pride. Um, and it was very emotional for me just because of for our players. Um, they never once, um, lost faith and belief in me. And that honor was something they won. They won that for me. Uh, it just happened to have my name on it, but they won it. Uh, and we won it together because we believed in each other. I know, you know obviously you, you left there, but it's, you know, at some point coach Harbaugh brought you there. Right. And, and he took it. You, as you said, Nick Saban didn't want to have a first time play caller. Jim Harbaugh gave you that opportunity. And you also said it was important being a minority. I just wanted to, maybe have you elaborate on that the significance of someone taking a chance on you in that role and also um, especially in the world we are in today having having that having you be uh, someone to have that opportunity yeah you know um, you know I, I think the, the the conversation that we're, we're, we're opening up now is the one that's a little bit of the elephant in the room um, uh, college football NFL football is not equally um, represented uh, in the profession of coaches versus players. Um, to be an offensive coordinator is one thing, but to be a minority offensive coordinator is another thing. And it's one that um, I take tremendous uh, pride in being, and I hold myself to a tremendous standard because of so many people that are fighting to be just like me. Um, I'm probably one of 10 maybe minority coordinators in all of college football at the division one, a level. Uh, and if you look across the board, none of us coach quarterbacks for the most part. And so um, it is a challenge. Um, it is a challenge in, in this profession. 
um, to equally get the opportunities um, as some may see, and especially when you are not a quarterback's coach. And so I never thought that this opportunity would come. And so when I reflected on it, that's where it meant so much. And, um, you know, I just think we still have so much room to go uh, as we move forward in, in the coaching profession um, with creating equality with coaches, whether that's women, whether that's minorities, um, you know, that you know, it's not about the color of your skin or not about the sex that you label yourself or whatever. It's about the work that you do. It's about the integrity you have as a coach, the development you have as a coach and the knowledge you have as a coach. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, woman, man, um, hire the best people and give the best people opportunities. And at the end of the day, if they can reach these young men that we coach, they develop themselves as the best coach. Did you and Mike, you and coach Loxley talk about that at all? You guys have conversations on this issue. We have, and Coach Loxley has been at the forefront, you know, developing the National Coalition of Minority Coaches and, and him developing that coalition has brought awareness um, and brought initiatives, you know, to college football and the NFL. And, and like we said, you know, um, everyone's aware of the issue. Um, you know, there are, you know, certain types of initiatives that are happening right now to try to address the issue, but there's there's – there's so much room to go in this deal and, and it's not going to happen overnight, but uh, as we continue to get equal opportunities and continue to have success in those opportunities, hopefully it creates another opportunity for someone down the road. All right, coach. Um, I've got like a whole nother page of stuff to talk to you about, but we're going to have to do this another day. All right, Josh, I appreciate it. No, it's all good. I, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, uh, it's been, it's been wonderful. Uh, just getting a chance to talk to you and share my story. Thanks, and I appreciate you uh, uh, you sharing your time during your busy schedule. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate you.